All right, good morning, Grace Church. Uh, fair warning to you. I, I just offered to everyone here in the room. Uh, I'm going to try to keep us within time limits, but I've got something I need to say. I'm going to preach that word, amen. Amen, hallelujah. <laughs> Man, I need my organ, Jenny. Come on, I need it today. I need the organ today. All right, so we've been talking... Uh, it, it's week two of our series, uh, Healing the American Church. Now, there is an assumption here, right? You only heal something that is wounded or something that is broken. The assumption that I am making today is that this American church is broken. It has been for a while. Now, there are multiple different uh, strands to this. There's, there's uh, multiple things that need to be healed or fixed. But there's one story I want to start with today. It's a story about a man named Bill. Do you know any Bills? Anybody know any Bills? Okay, we all know Bill. But this Bill is a special guy. Uh, Bill Hybels. In the early 90s, here's a man who was a forward thinker. Honestly, he was a visionary. And he's someone who was gripped with this powerful cause inside of his heart. And it was that we need to be doing more as the church to reach everyone we possibly can with the gospel of Christ. Would you agree with that? Amen? If there's something we can do to bring them in to experience God, we need to do it, right? And so he began to, to apply business principles he had learned that works well for businesses, ways to understand who it is we're trying to reach. What is it that they need? What is it that they want? What are the hurdles that keep them from experiencing God? This all sounds good, right? And he set out to overcome those hurdles, and so he started a church that had this mission. Whatever hurdles are in the way between someone and God, we're going to get it out of the way. And so they began a pioneer movement called seeker-friendly church. Now, that term, we don't even use that term anymore. There's a reason. Because those principles that used to be called seeker-friendly are now so pervasive, meaning they are saturated almost every church I've been in in the last 10 years, that we don't even need a term anymore. It just means church to us now, Right? And so in this movement, we had all sorts of cool things created. How about parking lot attendance? Is that pretty cool? Yeah. How about nursery check-in? Is that pretty cool? Yeah. How about a better sound system? Is that cool? Amen, hallelujah. I'm all about a good sound system. What about, you know, some better lighting? So when the pastor preaches, it doesn't look like his eyes are all shadowy and covered. Amen, right? We have terrible lighting at Grace Church, right? I always look really, really dark and sinister, right? There's shadows right here. I'm about to lie to you and, you know, you get the idea. What if we create the best possible experience? What if someone won't come to church because it's too long? Is there a way to, to go from two hours to maybe an hour and 45 minutes so that they'll stay just enough to receive Christ? What if we can get down to an hour and 15? What if we can cut out all of the junk and we can just get into 45 minutes? What if they could come in and be off the campus in half an hour? What if we can speed up the check-in times? What if we can find new experiences that will bring them in? We can do sermons from movies. That will get them. We can find new ways to create steps or sermons that they will understand. So we're going to simplify. We're going to take all the religious words out. We're going to simplify it. All these things sound good. And I'm not telling the story of Bill to tell you that everything he did was wrong because it was not. He's introduced things that the church needed to realize. He, he shook old trees that needed to be shook. The problem almost never comes from the visionary. It's not the innovator. 
who typically creates the issue. It's 10 steps down the road what comes from that. What we've created in the American church is something called a consumer. Do you know what a consumer is? A consumer does what? Consumes. Have a picture, get your mouth as big as you can, and imagine that, that picture of that person with a burger just shoving it into their face. Okay? You get the idea. This is the idea of a consumer. A consumer has one priority, to take, to take in, to get what they want, when they want it, how they want it. This is the basic principle of business. Find the consumer. Who is it? What do they want? How do we give them what they want so they continue to come back? If the average church attendance is once every five weeks, which, by the way, has now moved to once every six weeks, how do we get them to come twice every six weeks, three times? What if, imagine if they came three times a month. That would blow our mind if a Christian came to church three times in a month. So we're going to have more special events. In the summer, when people are tempted to go to the beach, we're going to do a special series, and we'll, we'll do all sorts of cool. We'll have cotton candy and donkeys. We're going to skydive for the name of Jesus. Now, I want to tell you this. This movement started with the absolute best intentions, in my opinion. Now, there's some history in this man. The story continued and went some pretty dark places, but that's not part of this story. These were things the church needed to learn. We needed to learn how to focus on getting unneeded obstacles out of the way. The Catholic Church used to do their sermons in Latin. We needed to remove that obstacle. You know what? Maybe we don't need six-hour services. Whenever I was a kid, if we left the church building at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we were rolling that day. And we were going to be right back at 5 o'clock, by the way. We were going to be right back in the room. Maybe we don't need to go to church six days a week. Maybe we don't need that. There were some things that this movement taught us, but I want to explain something. The church was created to, to foster and to birth disciples, not consumers. And this movement, this train is now moving so quickly that it is now out of hand. There's almost no stopping this now. I almost entitled this sermon, You Broke the Church. When I say you, obviously I include myself. What happens when Christians be, stop being disciples, meaning people who are disciplined, people who are intentional, who live their lives disciplining, being intentional and focusing their time and energy and growing in Christ? What happens when we shift from this emphasis what happens when a church building becomes less concerned with growing you up in Jesus and more focused on keeping you coming back, keeping you coming back to consume? What happens when a church becomes less religious and more like a business? What happens when you force your pastor to spend less time in prayer and more time studying marketing strategies? and investing in balloons and cotton candy and scheduling events for outdoors? What happens when you give up having priests around and all you have is CEOs around? I'll tell you what happens. We have created an environment where consumers, which is exactly what happens, consumers control the content. Meaning if I'm a business and I give you something that you won't pay me for, I've got to change what I'm going to give you. If I'm a church that I'm bringing you something directly from the Spirit of God or the Scriptures, but you don't want that anymore. You would rather go to the shorter service with the better parking spots where the lights are cooler, and I think the nursery's a little bit cleaner. 
what we have right now, what we've created is a system, a broken church, where pastors' jobs and lives are dependent on keeping you happy, not on pastoring you. So what happens when we come to a place in our country where we need people who can speak the truth to us, who might even be able to correct us, who might be able to teach us something that we don't know when it's difficult to follow Jesus? What happens when we've pushed all of those voices to the side and all we have are people who are here to make us laugh and make us comfortable? What happens in those moments? And what happens in those moments is you have a country void, meaning without Christian voices that are saying anything of value. Because the only things that we're feeding right now are things that are cheap, things that are showy and things that are plastic and things that will make us feel good for a minute. But these are not things that will grow us. If you guys have your Bibles, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Now, I love this verse because in, in the churches that I grew up in, we used to preach this a lot about the end times, and we used to use it to kind of tell people how awful it was going to be when Jesus was going to come back. Mark this, meaning mark my words is what Timothy's saying. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. When you see that, don't think about just your parents, people who push off authority. You don't have the right to tell me what to do. That's what you need to focus on. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. What are you seeing on Facebook right now? People who are quick to forgive, people who are not lovers of self, but lovers of their neighbor who they disagree with. Are you seeing that right now? They're rash. They're without self-control. They're slanderous, meaning they speak against people. How many Christians have you seen on Facebook speaking against other Christians, other neighbors, other, yeah. Without self-control, many, they're not disciplined. All they do is follow pleasure. Brutal. How many Facebook, Twitter posts, conversations are brutal, just without grace? These are people who are not lovers of the good. They're treacherous. They're rash, meaning they're going to make a decision in a split moment. Conceited, they assume that they know. These people love pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. They have nothing to do with such people. It's amazing how I read that verse now. I used to read it as like this world where like people are just like running around, you know, drinking alcohol, punching people. Into the world. You know, come on. And it's amazing what I see now in that. All these people who claim to be disciples, Christians, followers, people whose lives are disciplined, I meaning people whose lives are forced in an angle of following being people who live and act and speak like Jesus, people who conform to a mold of Jesus. That's what it means to be disciple, to be disciplined, to be squeezed into a mold of Jesus, of Christ. All these people, Facebook, posts, and Instagram, everything. Oh, we're Christians. We're going to whatever church. And I see nothing of the fruit of Christ in that. See, what happens is this. 
We have been told that we have the right to choose wherever it is that we want to go, do whatever we want to do. You know what? Just do your thing, man. You know, find a church that works for you. And what we're doing, every time that we go to the church that has the better, oh, you know, this pastor's jokes just kind of fit me better. Or I like this one because, you know, their politics line up with my politics better. I feel like I, you know, I fit better there. I want to go to this church because I heard that they got a new kids worker, and she's awesome. We had that at Grace Church for a long time. All we're doing is feeding this snowball that is gaining momentum. What you don't see right now, because it's not your responsibility to see it, all that we're doing right now is we're setting something in motion. Think about McDonald's. not sure if you guys actually know the story of this, right? The whole idea of McDonald's was for every person who went to McDonald's because it was faster. It was five cents. It was just a little bit cheaper. They could get the burgers to me just a little bit faster in the mom and pop shop. The more that I fed this beast of a monster, the more that it was squeezing out anything else. And now if I want a burger, this is what I'm going to get. This, this is what I get if I want the good stuff. There is a consequence to this. The primary role of the church, two things. One, to conform you to Christ, but two, to preserve the faith, meaning to, to be a canister that keeps these same elements to make sure that the God we worship today is the same God we worshiped 2,000 years ago. But what happens if that, if that thing that we're handing down, what if it gets watered down? You might be, oh, you know what? No, you know, we're fine. I don't need a church to tell me how to, how to worship and pray and, you know, read. Great. First of all, you're wrong. And secondly, what about your children? What are you handing them? Because if your church is this watered down, if our churches are this, if we have to shorten everything to half an hour, if the pastor has to give you a three-step, you know, here's how to improve your life lesson, we have to dumb everything down, water everything down, what are we going to hand to the next generation? And what are they going to hand? What is going to be left? What is it even really anymore to be a Christian? Because I see nothing but politics right now. So I do have three challenges for you. Here's the first thing. You actively, with your choices, with your time, with your money, with your feet, where you go, Stop feeding things that cannot feed you, period. I don't care if that church has the best youth group in the area. If it's not feeding you, it's going to hurt your kids more than putting them in the best youth group. If you are not growing in Christ, that will hurt your family more than putting them in the best ministries that your kids could ever find. If you are going to a church that is constantly having to bend over backwards to please every want and need of every consumer that walks in their door. When you get to a hard spot in your life, you don't want a pastor who makes you happy, who does what you want. You need a pastor who gives you what you need, not what you want. And I say this knowing all the local pastors in this area. And I know what they deal with. And I know the pressures that they get. 
when they feel led by God to do one thing and they have a family and they know that the Holy Spirit wants to correct something in their life and they go out to pastor someone and they know the consequence. They know that in a heartbeat, that family can walk and take their time and their gifts and money to the next circus down the road. And we know that same family will be in another church in two years and in three years and we all know it. We all know it. And so every pastor in every town in the entire country feels a pressure. Do I compromise the gospel and keep my paycheck and keep people happy with me? Or do I be faithful and risk this whole thing falling apart? Stop feeding things I can't feed you. And secondly, you need to find where God has called you to be. God has not called everyone to be at Grace Church, and that's a good thing. There are multiple gifted, loving pastors in this city alone, all over this country, people who are gifted have the heart to pastor you if you will let them, if you will ask them to, if you will tell them, hey, I'm a, all I want, I don't need you to make me happy, I want you to grow me, pastor me. I don't need an entertainer or a CEO, I need a pastor right now. Find where that is for you. Find it. If it's not a grace church, I want you to go get it, wherever it is. And if you're in a place where you're not being pastored, I want you to find that place right now. That's what your family needs more than anything else, is for you to be growing in Christ. Here's the last step, last challenge. Wherever that the Holy Spirit leads you, you need to put down roots. The reason I said roots is because roots can't be moved. That's the whole point. If you look into the scriptures, this entire letter here between the Apostle Paul and Timothy. These relationships span years. In the scriptures, the people who are set in cities to pastor cities stay there the rest of their lives. They, it takes years and years to grow a community of God and into the fullness of Christ. It takes years and years to allow a mentor to guide and teach you along the way as you face new challenges every season of your life. And if you're always bouncing around, you will never be in a place where someone knows you, who actually knows you, who can call you on your stuff, but who also knows the giftings in you, the potential in you. You need that. And if it's not here, you need to find it. You need to find a place and put down your roots, because if you, will, if you ever desire to grow in Christ, you can never do it without a long-term rooted relationship with a real guide, a real pastor, and a real community of Christ, where you allow yourself to get to know people in the Spirit of God to grow and conform you in those relationships. So like I said, I'm cutting it short today. You're lucky. I've got about another half an hour I could rant up here, but I will not. The church is broken, but it doesn't have to stay that way. And the thing about church history is the church always goes through really unhealthy periods. And sometimes it takes a long time, and sometimes it takes some really unfortunate events for the church to get healthy again. But we need to start here, in this small level, in this local level, right here in your life with your family. Model for your children what it looks like to be a disciple, not a consumer. 